0: Hi, and welcome to a bonus episode of Save Your Sorry, where we do our book club. I'm your host, Jose. Joining me is my co-host and best friend, Katrina Rochelle. Yay. And what book did you choose for us this month?
1: So this month, I chose Mother of Black Hollywood by Miss Jennifer Lewis. Ooh! And so we that's the book that we both read. So before we get into it, how did you feel about this book? Uh, not final thoughts, but you know, just getting into it. How did you feel about this book? What'd you think?
0: I, okay. Two things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We have been blessed with the last two books, the audio version, the audible version, whatever. The audio yeah. book. But I think it did such a great, they both did such a great job reading their own books that it's, I feel bad for the next one. Cause I feel like it's just going to be a letdown.
1: I, guess. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> um, I, I get that. Yeah. I really do love her voice. Jennifer Lewis's voice.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I think, Reading, you know, the book book, it just does not capture what she's trying to do in an audio format. Just because it's just a simple sentence, but the way she emphasizes certain words, yes, just makes it fun.
1: Yeah, but th- with that, I, oh, sorry. oh sorry, I'm sorry. Inter- I'm, 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 said, I'm, I'm inter- Interrupting you again. I'm sorry. Yeah. Again.
0: Again. Again. And Again. What
1: <laughs> was I'm that? Sorry. Me-
0: oh my god. <laughs> with that being said it was very hard for me to keep my mind on track when listening to this audiobook especially the earlier parts
1: okay well maybe you'll talk more about that uh as we get into it
0: it was just a name drop
1: oh really yeah like a couple or if there's a specific name
0: drop you're not fucking with no it's i don't i was happy that a few of my favorites were mentioned but In the beginning, it was like, and then I was with this, and her, and him, and her, and him, and her, and him, and it's like, oh my goodness, like, (laughs) we don't have to go through a list of everybody in Hollywood.
1: Yes, okay, I'm glad you brought that up, because this is kind of a forewarning. Jennifer Lewis knows, knew, has a lot of people in her life, and she names them all by names. Katrina does not do that on this review. These, <laughs> these people are family, friends, and sometimes they are named. But yeah, Jennifer Lewis named everybody she knew up in this book. You are not lying.
0: Yeah, and it's so something like, and then my best friend's assistant, Shelly, brought me towels, and like she does through Shelly's whole like description before talking about it, her. That's like <laughs> all she mentions is that this person brought her towels. I like, okay, I did not need to know all that.
1: Oh, that's so funny. I, I understand that. So yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's exactly what happens in this book. Uh, she, she names and says everything like that. Um, uh, another thing that you mentioned the auto the uh, audio part. I do think uh, Viola's book and this book does get extremely more enjoyable and elevated with the audio. But will I will what I will say is that. You can read Viola's without the audiobook and still be satisfied. I feel like you'll be missing parts of this if you don't hear the audio version a little bit. Yeah. Like you said, it's how she puts her personality into it, her emphasis, and, of course, the singing.
0: Yeah, the singing. She sings in her book. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Belting those fucking notes out uh-huh. in that little studio. Let's get into it. The Mother of Black Hollywood, a.k.a. this. Just yeah,
0: nice. let's go in it with our shoulders back, tits up. Is that, <laughs> is that what? Is that the phrase? Yes,
1: yes. She oh, she has creative tra- chapter names. So what I will say about this book is that she weaves. Uh, she has a linear line storyline sometimes, and she jumps. So I'm doing my best to review this in the way that I see fit as I read or listen to this book. Does she have a linear line? That's what I'm saying. At some point (laughs) she goes in order of what's happening, but at the beginning of chapter, she'll insert a farther away memory. Okay. And then you have Kinlock, which throws the whole thing off. So the book starts off with Jennifer speaking about her new role on a TV show, Blackish, and how she scored the role with no audition. And this is something that she laments about doing, auditioning at her older age, that she feels like she does not need to do because she's established and she doesn't think it's necessary.
0: 40 years in the game at that point.
1: I know. And not a lot of 40 years in the game people are probably still auditioning that have her, um, what's the word, filmography and all that. So she talks about not remembering her lines at this scene that she has to do opposite Lawrence Fishburne. And she has to take a moment to pull herself together. And then she goes back in time to how this job came about. She was basically on vacation, on a cruise. She was having fun. She was eating good. And then her agent calls about Blackish, which she had previously talked to her about, and uh, says that you booked it, no audition. And she has two weeks to prepare. Now, Jennifer is not liking this timeline. She was telling her agent, like, bitch, I was eating cheese. (laughs) I can't just eat cheese and drop the weight in two weeks. But she tries. But unfortunately, it don't happen. But Jennifer then goes into her life and how she grew up and knew she was a born entertainer. Now, Jennifer Lewis is very rich and descriptive in her words, especially when she talks about how it feels performing as a young child in her church and in front of her community. And uh, then, you know, getting that praise and that attention as a young girl and bothering uh, people to, uh, no, she was bothering one of the pastors, I think, to give her access to the church basement. And then when he finally caved and gave her the church basement, she started charging 35 cents uh, once a week for her talent shows. And she said the whole community would turn out to hear Jennifer Lewis built. Now, this just shows you at a young age, her fearlessness and that space uh, to grow in that love from her community left her feeling good enough to express herself in this way. And she was clearly supported and was uh, known to be that girl who always said she was going to be famous and she did accomplish that now after growing up and going to school and leaving her home for new york to follow her dreams to officially get into show business we get more into jennifer's journey of her successes and failures as she became more and more famous and then eventually the mother of black hollywood jennifer talks about what could be the love of her life or who she considers the love of her life who is a man named miguel they were on and off for years and Miguel was from the Dominican Republic. He was kind, smart. He was a vegetarian. But what ended up dooming their relationship both early and throughout the years was Jennifer's call to be an actor, for her to be in the entertainment business. And Miguel kind of wanting the opposite. Not, he wasn't not supporting her dreams, but he wanted to eventually marry Jennifer and have children. And Jennifer didn't see that in the cars for her at that time.
0: Yeah, he was ready to settle down and she loved him, but she just couldn't.
1: Mm -hmm. And she recognizes how not only did she love him for who he was, but how she loved him for what he would talk to her and say to her about what she would do. That whole thing that stuck with her that, you know, Jennifer, you always have so much to say, but you don't really say anything. And not necessarily meaning it as an insult, but saying that you could use your words for power. You could put a message in your words, but instead, you just use that quantity over quality at that time.
0: And I gotta say, she does use an accent when doing his voice, but <laughs> I did not find it offensive.
1: Oh, really? Okay.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> there is a few times she did an accent for other people's voices, like that have accents, and I just it wasn't like a caricature accent. I think that's probably how he really talked because she wasn't like over the, the top man. with it.
1: <laughs> I wonder if somebody else would have done some accents where you'd be so forgiving. I probably, I
0: don't know, I just, when it, I can't explain it. When you hear it, you kind of know, like, oh, that sounds off. But this, I remember that exact part when, like, she's talking about him and it, like, has lines. And it says, in an accent voice. I was, like, reading the actual book. I'm like, I gotta listen to this audio part real fast. <laughs>
1: Uh, the good thing is that you 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 kind of know it's not in a character type of way because she's talking about somebody she loves yeah like she's not gonna like fool him like that also just an interlude story during this whole like chapter journey was that separate the whites let's talk about that for a second because this is what uh jennifer would do she would talk about her life as it was happening and then she would just insert this random story now it wouldn't have complete uh, it wouldn't be completely, what's the word I want to say? I don't want to say useless to the to the entire thing, but it was just like a stand-in. So she has the story about separating the whites where basically she was doing laundry, and this is while she was on Broadway, so this is a ways when she's more successful. And she's doing laundry, and she separated her, her white laundries from her dark colors and all that stuff. But she has to stand in front of these elevators to get in. She gets an elevator that's far over. And so she has to grab one bag to stall the elevator while she grabs the others. And there's a white couple on there who, as she says, can you please, you know, wait for me? I'm trying to get my bags. And as she turns around to get her other bags, they, uh, I think the woman yelled, we're not waiting for you, and, like, kicks her, her bag out the doorway.
0: Uh-huh. And,
1: you know, Jennifer Lewis wasn't having it. It don't even matter what time. I knew she wasn't having it. 10, 20, is, 30, 40?
0: <laughs> Which is another thing I loved about this book. No offense to our other books we covered. hmm But they don't have as much bite as Jennifer. I felt like they were all nicer people. And she definitely has some bite to
1: her. Oh, she left it all out on the floor. Yeah. I feel like in a totally different way than others, yes. She uh, runs back as her her clothes have fallen all over the floor and basically stands in the middle of the doorway of the elevator and slowly picks up all her clothes and then (laughs) makes eye contact with the couple and says, well, that was rude. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, goes down with them on the elevator to get her laundry. And then she decides she's going to confront the woman, and you know, gets in her face and says, you know, what did she said, uh, you you don't you lost the right to speak or say anything when you threw my shit out. And then the dude tries to intervene, and she says, you lost the right to speak when you let her throw my shit out.
0: Yeah, she was not having it, and how she explained it, she's she was angry, but she said in a very calm way, which is kind of even more like. Mm-hmm. scary like oh what the fuck did we just do
1: yeah so uh basically she ends up leaving that interaction couple later complained on her she or she found out but you know jennifer lewis had and they
0: called her the maid
1: oh yeah i forget yes yeah, she was a crazy <laughs> maid or something which is psh, what the fuck ever but yeah and uh but the staff and everybody it, is cool with Jennifer. She knows them all. So there's no action taken, but there is an anonymous uh, note left on Jennifer's door telling her where the couple stays, (laughs) which I thought was hilarious because apparently they had a reputation for being assholes. But Jennifer said she was going to, you know, pick her battles and she decided not to retaliate. But I thought that was hilarious to be so deep in with the staff that they said, go ahead and ruin these motherfuckers.
0: Yeah, I just feel like Jennifer is the type of person who's like never met a stranger. Like she's gonna to talk to everybody.
1: Oh yeah, she does. She definitely gives off that energy, as well as I mean, if you you've seen videos of her, that's that's how she is. Uh huh. So one of Jennifer's scarier stories comes after living in the city for a few years. It's basically when uh, Jennifer is being praised, and she had some flowers delivered to her at her apartment. And I guess the what do you call that? Bodyguard, the clerk, the doorman. Front, the doorman, yeah, basically says that, you know, you got packages here. She says, go ahead and send them right up. Give her give her the flower. She's great. Then the doorman says, hey, you have uh, a man here with one more package uh, for you. And she says, oh, that's fine. Buzz him up. At that same time of that happening, she is running herself a hot bath. And she's putting some like peppermint oil inside, and she accidentally gets a lot more peppermint oil in the bath than she wanted. I think it was because her yeah her dog knocked it in. Yeah. And um, at that same time, she gets the knock on her door. It's a lot of fucking peppermint oil and steam, so she's letting it. She's she got the bathroom door open. Then she opens the front door. She's only living in a studio at this point, and there's this man there with like an envelope in his hand. At first, and he kind of looks a little dodgy. He looks from left to right, and then basically shows that he has the kitchen knife. He's armed, points it at Jennifer's throat, and basically lets himself in, and then proceeds to like attempt to rape her. Basically, uh-huh. uh huh. Tells her lock up the lock up the dog, get over here on the bed. Is anybody coming? She she lies to kind of stall time and uh, says that her boyfriend gonna be there soon you know he tells her to take off her clothes and all that and then um he is attempting to rape her but he can't get erect so he is trying to do that while still holding the knife and being on top of her and then i guess he is distracted and drops the knife jennifer notices this and because she has one of her hands free she picks it up and is about to basically stab this man in the back But, like, this glare and this flash from the the knife and the candle basically flashes or flickers in her eye. And she just kind of, like, has that moment of clarity of, like, no, this this isn't right. I I don't want to do it this way. And so she puts the knife down and proceeds to, like, spin this story of being sick, uh, using the peppermint oil smell and everything, saying that she's sick, she has a disease. Uh, he shouldn't do this to her. You know, she's unhealthy. Spare her and all this other stuff.
0: She's pretty much saying she has AIDS, right? But at that time, they didn't know what it was.
1: Basically, basically, yeah. yes. She offers to kind of basically, quote unquote, get him off, but not to, not don't rape her. He seems to be interested in her story asking questions and stuff like that and then agrees to let her leave the bed to get the the vaseline. but as she goes he says stop she thinks that he's changed his mind and that he's going to continue with the assault but instead he breaks down and says he shouldn't be doing this type of shit he just got out of jail they put him behind bars for something he didn't do you know and all this other stuff and jennifer being the person that she is is realizing that this person of course is also a lot more hurt but still is not a safe person. So she's trying to comfort him and tell him that he can call her and give her and get and she gives this number. I definitely don't think it was her number. But she puts this number on paper and says, "You know, you can call me anytime, but you have to go and, you know, he has a little bit of a breakdown, but he does eventually leave. Now, she does go to a friend's house and um, after a day or two, she ends up do, uh, she does end up putting in a police report, and the person, I, I don't know if it was the policeman of her or a friend of hers, or it was the same thing who basically said that you know, she was very lucky because not many people talk themselves out of a sexual assault like that, especially when they're already behind closed doors.
0: Yeah, I think there was a police officer.
1: Yeah, I I wasn't sure if it was the police officer when she reported or a friend afterwards. But yeah, yeah, he definitely said that, which, of course, is 100 percent believable, because when you think about it, if they've already got you cornered, very rarely is something going to come up to stop them. It is unfortunate that she even had to go through that. But the fact that she did get away somewhat not physically harmed is is great but she was unnerved for this for she said much kept looking behind her you know worried about this man
0: and i know this is her story and how she chooses to view it to heal i guess mm-hmm. but it definitely rubbed me the wrong way when she said when it's about to happen the assault's about to happen she's thinking why why would the god let this happen to me yeah. And she, she says that, well, she believes in past lives and she thinks in the past life she cut this guy's head off and now in this life he's come back to seek his revenge. Oh, yeah. Like, that mixed with when he has that breakdown moment and she's, like, looking at him and saying, oh, he's so skinny, he, he just got off jail, I could probably take him in a fight. Like, it kind of makes him not as guilty like Doesn't he's doing this come? for a reason he's he has his own circumstances and maybe that's what she wants to take out of it but i i don't know why she framed it that way
1: yeah I, I, it's one of those types of things where not yeah not everybody's going to agree with how she framed or how she viewed that situation but it's kind of like her experience but Yeah, I do understand how that language does kind of paint him more as a victim than somebody who was literally trying to rape you. Yeah. But I think it's just her outlook on life, both then and her hindsight now. Yeah. So, yeah, I do get that. It was at this next upcoming chapter where I realized that the great Jennifer Lewis had many stories. I mean, a lot. That, that thing that we were talking about where she meets a person and then she decounts their whole biography uh before, during, and after her.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Then we come into one of my favorite titled chapters and one of the most entertaining ones, uh, Dick Diva. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about that. So Jennifer said it plainly. She said she was out here flooking. <laughs> she said everybody was doing it. She said this was about the time what this mid- mid to uh, early to mid 70s this is a sexual revolution this is free uh, love and everybody loves one another and we're gonna love each other with our clothes off that type of thing and she named many of the lovers that she had throughout the year specifically during this time where she is doing the uh, Ubi national tour of the play that she originally did on Broadway now she's on the Ubi national tour and she Make sure that she has a man in every port, according to her, and she checked in with her lovers periodically. She said if they were in the city or town that she was in, she was with them. If they weren't, she was calling them and having phone sex. She was calling them to make sure they were okay. She said occasionally she called and a woman picked up, she hanged up. Uh, occasionally nobody's answering. She's just going through her exploits during this time in her life.
0: And occasionally, She'd call one while she was having sex with the other.
1: Oh, yeah. When well, she said that later in the book, I said, You nasty. <laughs>
0: she said it made her feel powerful. Yeah, she said, It was
1: <laughs> love pushing the boundaries. Okay, girls. But um, she said, Even though she had many lovers during this time, Miguel is still her number one, who at this time is still in the Dominican Republican. Dominican Republican? <laughs> the Dominican <laughs> Republic. I got to, how do you say it? Now I'm going to say it wrong. How do you say it's it?
0: Dominican Republican. No,
1: is it? <laughs> no, now I'm messing it up. I gotta say it, or I'm gonna say it wrong. Dominican, Dominican Republic. I'm not a Republican. My bad. So Miguel is still in the Dominican Republic, taking care of his sick grandmother. I think at this time. Yeah. And he, she says he's still her number one. I still love her life, but as tour as the tour of the uh, Ubi stage play goes on, she does get a little reckless. You know, she's she's not in control of her emotions completely. You know, she's drinking a little bit more. She's uh, dealing with more men that ended up uh, resulting in some strain tensions. With her castmates, it also ended in some gonorrhea at that time. Um, she also starts to develop this diva reputation, which is a double-edged sword, as she explained. Because you know, divas are known to, you know, basically bring it. They're known for their performances. They're known for being great. You can expect a lot out of them. But the double-edged sword is that divas expect a lot of out of everybody else. They want to be treated a certain way. They want to be paid a certain way. They act a certain way, like they're better. It's and sometimes they they don't, and sometimes that is the appearance, the facade. Uh huh. So she's dealing with that diva rep of killing it on stage, but off stage, you know, as much as people love her and laugh with her, she's also kind of driving people away with her attitude of going too far. She's a little too overconfident. She talks a little bit too much bullies, not bullies, but basically uh, ribs you a little bit too hard and doesn't really care about others feelings because they're not as important as hers.
0: Yeah, she kind of seems as banter, and it's all fun and games, people are laughing, mm-hmm. until someone confronts her and is like, yeah, I'm pissed at you.
1: Exactly. I also thought, this was a, a little insert, was that um, this this book is called The Mother of Black Hollywood, and her first uh, mother role was playing uh, Tina Turner's mom, uh, Zel- Zelma Bullock, and What's Love Got To Do With It, which... I could have guessed that because if you've seen that movie, Jennifer Lewis looks pretty young in there. And that was in 1992 or three. So not even yeah, that early in her career.
0: She said she wanted the role of Tina.
1: Oh, yeah. She said she wanted the role of Tina, but her uh, her, her boobs were too big. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, I would have sang the fuck out of them songs. <laughs> So, I do like
0: that she said that, but she also like acknowledges that no one could have done it like Angela.
1: Oh yeah, Bassett. she gave Angela her flowers. I was like, yeah, I could have killed it, but you know, my girl killed it too. <laughs> Angela
0: Bassett did the thing.
1: <laughs> Angela Bassett did the thing. So gra- Viola Davis, my woman king. <laughs> have you seen the video of Viola Davis snapping? Just, you know, you go. Girl. Yeah.
0: I I love that people are like embracing it now. Like Lizzo was on stage and she did it. And then Angela accepted award and she did it.
1: Yeah, I saw the Lizzo one. That was hilarious. I love that Angela did it on the NAACP awards, but also she said like she checked in with the girl cause she noticed some people were like making fun of it like in At a great way, it- but then some people were just like, God, you're so stupid. How would you do this number? Like, God damn
0: it. Yeah, Have fun. At first, people were attacking her. She deactivated her Twitter.
1: Yeah. Could you imagine it being that bad? You did a little number and people hated it that
0: much. (laughs) Crazy. Back to the book.
1: Back to the book. So at this time, Jennifer meets Thomas, the stage manager, and she begins to fall in love. This is when the Ubi National Tour goes into Canada, I'm pretty sure. Now, Jennifer does take a small break from her love affair with Thomas to sing at a relative's wedding. But um, later, after the wedding in St. Louis, I think she's sitting with her mother at home. And Jennifer's just kind of getting more clarity about the men that were kind of in her life before she left home. So she asked her mom about her father, like what he was like. And then she asked about her mother's pastor, Pastor Hurd, who Jennifer says had molested her at a younger age. But when she told her mother this information, her mother didn't do anything about that, and that severely basically disappointed her and forever changed and strained the relationship. I didn't understand
0: that story. So, the pastor like tries to kiss her, right? Yeah and then she tries to tell her mom and her mom's like go to your room
1: and oh then... are we going to talk about the whole thing of what actually happened okay yeah say it
0: yeah she like she says she walks in with the phone and like on the long extension cord and she like hands to the receiver and she's like the pastor's on the phone tell him what you just told me and as soon as she hands her the phone and she's about to speak when jennifer's about to speak her mom just snatches the phone and hangs up it's like what was that like did you not think she was going to confront him? Did you? I, I didn't understand the point of that.
1: Yeah, was, I think it was one of those things. Or was like, that like enough no, proof
0: for her mom? Like,
1: like we're not going to talk about this for real. This is not going to be a thing. Maybe trying to, like, scare the, the child. Because most people don't want to confront their, like, assaulter. So putting her on the spot some people would fold maybe she was counting on jennifer to fold but when jennifer wanted to confront and basically tell the pastor what he did and what she told her mother her mother was like no we're not doing this
0: yeah I understand a that. Up
1: story but yeah that i mean yeah i didn't understand why her mother did that either as a whole but i definitely understand the whole um this pastor this church uh, their word is higher to me than, unfortunately, my child's.
0: Oh, I definitely understood that part. Like, you know, yeah, there's God on top right below him the the pastor. Like, uh,
1: and it's, that's crazy to me.
0: Yeah, sadly, if you're in the church, that's going to be like a big influence in your life.
1: Mm-hmm. And some people just get so stuck in it, they let it run their lives instead of letting it be a piece and, and having discernment and judging what works for you, what doesn't work for you what you should follow, what you feel, and what you believe, instead of having this whole, everything I say is right. Yeah, because I
0: guess when, I mean, not to get into a religious conversation, but...
1: We get into it.
0: (laughs) When you're looking at, like, a pastor, that's a community leader. That's someone who you go to when you have, you know, a lot of people who don't have therapy that are in the church just talk to their pastor, to their reverend, to whoever, to a leader. And so it's like... They're supposed to be the wise one they're supposed to be the one who is in communication quote unquote communication with god so it's like if you're disagreeing with what he says you're disagreeing with what god says which it shouldn't be that way <laughs> like, exactly
1: but yeah so um jennifer had asked about her father she asked about her mother's pastor pastor Hurt and my her mother doesn't really speak much about it but the next morning her mother has arranged for that same pastor pastor her to take her to the airport which i thought was also kind of like fucked up like a weird dynamic she was trying to force on jennifer like we're that that didn't happen and so for that we're going to overwrite that memory with this memory or i'm going to force you to get a to be with this man who I don't think did anything to you, or I'm not going to acknowledge did anything to you. Yeah. I just thought that was fucked up. So uh, she makes small talk, but she's, she's upset. She doesn't want to be in the situation. And I thought it was, and, and she's not, she's not ready or going to confront him in this moment. Cause she's still dealing with all that other stuff. But uh, she said a great quote, which was trauma, shut you down and shut you up, which it definitely does. Like uh-huh. you, you think sometimes you're ready or you think when this happens, you'll be guns a blazing, confronting everybody. But sometimes you're just still in the thick of it where you just, you just can't get out of that. It's like quicksand.
0: Yeah. And you really don't know how you would react in that situation. You see stupid, like people on the internet all the time talking about, Oh, if this was me in this situation or that situation, I would act like this. It's like, you don't know until you're like, That is something that doesn't happen to normal people of Mm -hmm. a pastor being very inappropriate to you and then taking you to the airport the very next day. Yeah. That's like bizarre.
1: We we all say that stuff to like make it seem like we're so secure in ourselves when we do have insecurities for that bravado to make it seem like nobody could ever fuck with us. But the truth is, like you said, you don't know until you know.
0: Yeah, if they can fuck with Jennifer Lewis, they can fuck with you.
1: I would, and she came up with nobody's fucking with me in the streets.
0: Exactly,
1: I'm telling you. So uh, Jennifer Lewis has this uh, audition for this show called Foreplay coming up. She, one of the funniest things she said was, huh, "They got me by the name, basically." <laughs> so I was interested when I heard that name, honey. She has the audition in Manhattan, and she gets the part. So she's back in New York, getting ready for rehearsals. But to do so before that, she's still doing her routine of faithfully staying in her singing her her dance lessons. But she's also got this other thing going on and it's called depression and she's battling that as well. Saying to herself every day when she's crying uncontrollably for no reason in her brain that tomorrow will be or Jenny tomorrow will be a uh, tomorrow will be a better day or it'll be a good day. Then her relationship with the stage manager, Thomas, is also kind of fading in and out. So while Jennifer at that point really was in love with Thomas, she thought he could have been the one. She was staying faithful at this time, you know, before Jennifer had her roster, men and she was going and doing whatever the hell she wanted. But when she got with Thomas and fell in love, she said, this is my one man. I get everything from him. I'm going to stay with them. But when she realizes that Thomas is pulling away from her, finding excuses, not being the person that he used to be. She said, well, I'm not getting that attention, and that full blown attention I used to get from you. So now I need to split that up and find some more men. And that's what she uh-huh. does. She puts the roster back together. <laughs> <laughs> so um, she hears about this new show. From one of her industry friends, one of those long list industry friends she names in this book, and the the show's called Project Nine, and it has um, these certain people attached. But then somebody leaves, and they ended up renaming it Big Dreams, and Jennifer Holiday is attached to it at this point. She's involved, and she plays character Effie White. But during her playing this role she ends up quitting because apparently at this time Effie White had she dies in like the first act or she dies really the I don't know when she dies but basically Effie White dies and Jennifer Holiday wasn't happy with that so she quits and she leaves. Now mm. Jennifer auditions for Effie White and she gets the part of the show. But this is not when Big Dreams as it's called at this time, is not on Broadway. It's only being workshopped at this time. So Jennifer ends up playing Effie White for two workshops, plays the character, she fleshes it out and everything uh, with these two big companies that they do the workshops for, but then eventually is told that they're going back with Jennifer Lewis. No, <laughs> she's Jennifer Lewis.
0: <laughs> Jennifer
1: Holiday.
0: That seems a role that a lot of Jennifers have taken.
1: Is it? In fact, it's made for a goddamn Jennifer. If a non-Jennifer tries to touch it, that's just going to electrocute her. (laughs) Because I didn't even think about that. It sure enough is. Uh Now, Jennifer at the time wasn't phased when she was told, like, basically, you're fired. We're going with somebody else. But shortly after, when big dreams became dream girls and she saw them billboards and the promotions, she was a little disappointed, you know, because she she thought, damn, that could have been me. But the it great should have been her. Nah, <laughs> I think history went the way it needed to. I'm trying to think. It would have been great for her to be in Dream Girls, but like she said, nobody was gonna sing like Jennifer Holiday sang. Because I like for Lewis's song, I mean voice, but I don't think she had those dream girl the dream girl voice if that makes sense
0: yeah that's why i like her. a lot of these roles that she loses out to, she does not like bad mouth the person who got the role
1: yeah i was gonna name that at the end i wrote down some of her reje- her rejections <laughs> that sounds crazy but you know she's successful she can handle it <laughs> <laughs> So they, um, she was disappointed because she thought that could have been her. But the great thing is, is that because she fleshed out that character and, and workshopped it through two different workshops, she did receive compensation throughout Dreamgirls' uh, Broadway run. Uh, I think it was because act, actors' equity and because of a, a friend of hers making sure she got her due. Which I was like, damn, if you can't get it on the front end, might as well get it on the back end. Mm-hmm. Now, that earlier show I had told you about, Fourth Play Falls Through, and soon she is back with the Ubi National Tour, touring the world once again. Now, sh- this is when Jennifer goes into that future moment when she's still in the past. So, we're going to talk about it. And she talks about when she made sure to crash the Democratic National Convention because uh, she was going to see Barack Hussein Obama. Uh, take the demo, uh, Democratic nomination to be the mm. president of the United States, and it was hilarious. Uh, she said, <laughs> she basically says that um, there was a celebrity bus going to the convention, but they were going too late. She wanted to get a good seat. She wanted to get early. She wanted to get there early, so she gets on an earlier bus, but she's still behind a whole bunch of motherfucking people. Now, at the start of this, she wants to sa- she said that the reason why this was so important to her is because she she loves to see the advancements that African-Americans make in the political world. Because as you know, for so fucking long, black people were shut out. But um, so she's uh, at the convention. She says that it was estimated 40,000 people were going to be there. And she said, I feel like all 40,000 people them motherfuckers was in front of her. Somebody calls out one of her characters' names and she says, a fan, Merry Christmas, bitches. <laughs> I thought she was so fucking funny. And she talks to the fan and she's like, girl, you've got to get me through this line. I need to be at the front. I need to be in there. The woman says, I can only do that if you're in a wheelchair. <laughs> and she says, oh, shit. So basically she does this exaggerated walk, you know, this limp to this wheelchair so she can get to the front and get inside, and she said, I know it was the saddest performance of my life, but fuck y'all, like I said, I wasn't standing in that line. Long story short, she does a lot of lying, uh, but she got a lot of fans who either, or or she has fans or apathetic people who do not care, who let her in to the point where she uh, is almost in front of the podium because uh, she spots Jesse Jackson Jr., you know, spots him, gives him a hug, and he says, oh, you're one of my favorite actresses, she's like i snuck in here they about to throw my ass out (laughs) and uh he makes sure that she stays and she sits there and she watches history be made back to the current timeline of this being back into the what this is the early 80s jennifer lewis opens her one woman show who is jennifer lewis hot and she promotes the hell out of it so much so that even though she was scared about the um reception and how many people were going to show up sold out the first night, and she receives a standing ovation. Now, this is in 1982. Jennifer performs the solo act at multiple bars slash cabarets to great reviews, uh, a lot of tourists, and then a lot of theater folk, depending on the day and time. But as she's continuing this, she gets a opportunity to be a backup singer for Bette Midler. Specifically, they're called Harlots, which I... I'll do your thing, whatever. Call your backup dancers what you want. <laughs> um, and she gets this opportunity for Bette Midler. Uh, it comes at a weird time because she has. they want her to start on Monday, but she has a show on Monday. Bette Midler calls her personally and is like, girl, why can't you get your understanding to do it? And Jennifer's like, girl, this is a one-woman show. And they figure it out, and she does her last show. She announces she's becoming a harlot, everything is going up for her. She gets this great review on her last show saying that, you know, she's moving on to better things, but she probably won't be a Harlot for long because Jennifer Lewis is destined to be a star.
0: I like the Bette Midler cameo in here.
1: Oh yeah. I mean this, bro, the Bette Midler part, I was shocked. I was like, Bette Midler be putting up with all that? I should have met her. (laughs) So the tour with Bette was successful, but backstage with Jennifer, there were some ups and downs. Jennifer was great at her job for what she had to do, but occasionally she did mess up on stage. She still had that big chip on her shoulder like she was the best thing smoking. And that made it hard for some people to be around her. She even had her, uh, her, her share of tantrums one time throwing a tantrum because she didn't get her ticket set aside for her people and literally barging what banging and barging on Bett Miller's door as she's getting ready for the show. To which Bette Miller comes out and screams, somebody get this girl these goddamn tickets or her personal assistant to get these goddamn tickets because last time she did so-and-so. So this is like a known thing with Jennifer, having mm. these tantrums and acting up and uh, messing up, but Bette Miller is still sticking beside her. So, you know, she ain't, she ain't quit. Um, she ain't quit her. She ain't fired her. And it seems like she didn't reprimand her because Jennifer said she knew when Bet was kind of tired of her, but she never pushed her. And she yeah. accepted her for who she was. But she did say she suspected that Bet kinda knew that she had a lot more going on than what Kate what meets the eye.
0: And Bet Midler even told her, I believe. She said something like, You're the greatest block entertainer and I'm the
1: And I'm the inter- Yeah. Yeah, she said that to her years later down the line. I like that too. So
0: I think that's the reason she like let her get away with some of those tantrums because she saw the talent in her.
1: Yeah, she she knew what she could be. Yeah. And you, and you like that for, for people. To know that you're dealing with stuff and you are trying your best as well see the, the star and talent in you. So after the tour ends, it puts Jennifer in demand. You know, she's asked to do her one-woman show at a couple different places. Well, more than a couple, but you know, I'm just underestimating my girl. And then um, she ends up meeting with this agent who asked her to put a a one woman show together that she can tour colleges on during Black History Month specifically. And that leads Jennifer to put together the show called From Billy to Lena to Jennifer. And this show is uh, basically a show about these seven women, these seven great black entertainers and it's about their songs their music but also their lives and hardships the trials and tribulations that each of these women went through and um the seven women she chose but she said she wanted to do a lot more she couldn't do though it was only she only had an hour uh-huh. but she chose uh billy Holiday, lena horn tina Turner, Ma- Mahila jackson i hope i'm saying her name right etha waters and dino washington aretha franklin Now, we know most of these people. I will say I'm kind of unfamiliar with uh, Mahala, Mahila, Jackson, Ethel, and Dinah. But, you know, I'm more familiar with Aretha, Billy, Lena, and Tina. How about you?
0: Yeah, pretty much the same. Okay.
1: So um, she takes the show on the road uh, doing her college tour, and this is 1984. And she's having success with that then we came to this part where i said no the fuck she did not (laughs) i was so disgusted when out of all the men our little jenny had been with she came to stop on mr angelina's father i (laughs) don't know how i forgot about that until now i was trying to think like who are you talking
0: about (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> when she said, you know, basically what, she was doing a performance, he was there, they locked eyes, you know, they walked around afterwards and, you know, then he kissed her and they went back to his place. I said, no, Jenny, no, anybody but him.
0: I wonder, cause you know, she's, she talks, she's more open about her politics now and uh-huh. so is John Boyd. So I wonder if, Like, if she would still hold that story, like, the same way.
1: Yeah, I feel like she'd probably still tell it the same way, but maybe end at, like, put at the end... uh,
0: Some kind of joke. Yeah, like, something.
1: (laughs) But also leaves me to believe... You be having them beliefs and them thoughts. Was you secretly still taking down black women? I don't like that. <laughs> Nasty ass. Mm. So, yeah, she has this little tryst with uh, John Voight. Uh, that didn't lead nowhere, but, you know, it was it had to be mentioned. And uh, she put it in. It was a little excerpt in her book.
0: He did walk her home the next morning.
1: Oh, yeah, he did walk, bleh, he walked her home, whatever. And she wanted her
0: <laughs> theater. She wanted her, like her co-workers <laughs> and the theater people to see.
1: <laughs> he said, she said she walked a little slow because she wanted somebody to catch her, but nobody's up that early. Uh-huh. <laughs> Hilarious. Now, fast forward a little bit, and Jennifer gets this opportunity to perform a couple shows in Monaco. And she takes a couple of friends. Uh, to be her backup singers and this is apparently when the AIDS crisis in the media was like at a fever pitch like this is like one of the this is when it's really being publicized a lot and there's a lot of misconceptions and rumors being publicized as well
0: I was really surprised that AIDS was a huge theme in this book
1: not me well, okay, what I will say is before reading it yeah, maybe. But knowing that she was so deep in the theater world and then she's going through the 70s and the 80s, mm. I kind of expected that because yeah, as you know, the AIDS epidemic took out a lot of gay performers specifically. It took out a lot of people, but a lot of gay performers. And, yeah, and- that was that was her community. That I mean, she she had a lot of gay friends.
0: Which, that's another list of names in her book that she goes through. Yes.
1: Oh, I got My friend from here died,
0: he died. I saw him before I left to go to California. I came back and they told me he died. It's like she would be getting these calls all the time of, I hope you're sitting down because someone else died.
1: Yeah. Oh, sorry.
0: I guess why it was surprising to me is just like ignorance on my part. Like, I just did not connect it. Like, you know, this could be part of her story, but I guess I should have. I mean, you know, like you said, time and place, it makes sense
1: yeah but like I said, I didn't know until I started to hear you know the community she was a part of. but yeah, that the list of names of all the friends she lost. I thought it was really sad when she was like um she she went back on tour later and she would go into her like her favorite places, uh, her favorite uh, hairdressers and she'd go and try to get her hair done and find out, you know this person has passed, this person has passed. It was like just reliving it all over again. Like you're yeah, just not realizing said. how many people you've lost. Different communities were trying to do their part to raise money for the AIDS epidemic because the government was so shitty about it and ignorant. And oh, one of the things she mentions was this Divas for Dollars where she got together with a couple of her other um, theater friends. And she said like late hour at some of the gate clubs, uh, they would go in, sing uh, a few songs and then pass out the hat. To raise money for you know AIDS awareness, you know AIDS research and stuff like that, and she called that Divas for Dollars. Yeah. Now, one person who I did not mention but is kind of heavily mentioned is uh, this man who was one of Jennifer's best friends, Quitman. Now, Quitman helped write, uh, especially her first one-woman show, a lot of the music and stuff that she did, and was basically her pe- companion and her her best friend. She even mentioned that if Quitman was not gay he would have been the only man she would have married but when she comes back from monaco she's finding out that quitman is ill he's really sick he had mentioned that he was going to move from new york to san francisco and jennifer at the time was like upset saying what are you doing that for but she says hindsight basically showed her that when she found out he was sick san francis Fran- can i talk
0: San Francisco.
1: <laughs> I was saying this. <laughs> Why was <laughs> I going this?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Don't do this to me. <laughs> she was, uh, she basically, her hindsight was showing her that San Francisco at the time was one of the biggest uh, places for AIDS research. And he was trying to go down there to live as long as possible to figure out what was going on with him. Also, unfortunate, another hit Miguel, at this time, ends up passing away. Now, she mentions that they uh, stay in contact all the time. In fact, she said she didn't talk to him for about six years. But it still hurt her so much because that still was the love of her life. And um, she still had to grieve and come through that. But she's, yeah. she keeps going. She keeps... Taking jobs and ignoring her feelings, but her friends are noticing her behavior and they're suggest suggesting that she goes into therapy. But at this time, Jennifer is not a hundred percent willing to receive that information, even though she's dealing with so much. She's still using her humor to mask everything going on with her life to her own detriment. When she gets the suggestion of another therapist after coming back to this after party, after a show, you know, joking with all the heavy hitters, you know, being Jennifer Lewis, loud and brash and telling her, telling everybody how she tried to find a therapist, but it didn't work out and doing all this exaggerations. Somebody does suggest a therapist saying that, you know, I I helped my friend who had schizophrenia and this therapist really helped him out. Here's their info. And Jennifer says after she cries in yoga the next day, she calls him immediately. But their first uh, interaction was a little rocky. Jennifer comes in to, I don't, she never says the last name, of course. Oh, she would never. But the therapist's name is, her, her name is Rachel. So she goes to Rachel's office and she's unnerved already. She doesn't want to look her in the eye. She's jittery. She even said she did pushups, which I'm trying to picture Jennifer Lewis doing a pushup and shit. <laughs> um, and, she, you know, Rachel's like, sit down. Jennifer's sitting on the back of the couch with her feet on the, the cushions. You know, Rachel lets her be. And then eventually says, talk about your mom. Like, that's one of the first things she says as far as therapy, and Jennifer loses it. She says she <laughs> ran off the couch and got into uh, Rachel's face and said, I forgot what she said because I didn't even write it. She said, we're, we're not fucking talking about that. Or,
0: it, oh, yeah, I'm here you know, to talk
1: about my fucking career.
0: That's like, how the chapter ends. I thought that was great.
1: It, exactly. It ends exactly like that. And then we go into the chapter Kinloch, which Jennifer Lewis grew up in Kinloch, Missouri. And if you've read or listened to any interview uh, Jennifer has ever did, She definitely says that (laughs) Jennifer grew up in Kinlock. Her mother and father broke up shortly after her arrival, but her mother was the main person around her mother was stern her father had a drinking problem and also didn't always stay employed and as a result of all those issues wasn't really around the family much as she grew older her mother was very hard on jennifer and the rest of her children but mainly jennifer because she was a quote-unquote bad child (laughs) she said that her mother was not very affectionate but She was a great housekeeper. She was a great provider. And she did instill life lessons in her children when she could. And she
0: she would tell them, make sure you clean this house before I get home. I'm going to beat your ass.
1: Yeah, basically. Uh, Jennifer talks about the different types of houses they grew up in. Having an outhouse. Before having the outhouse, having a bucket. And having to dump and clean the bucket. Because that's what you had to use. And even being so broke and poor that... When they had to leave one of their houses, they moved into an abandoned church with some of her other family, coincidentally, and them living in that situation, moving into another house, whatever it is, the outhouse, and then eventually moving into this nice house. To my understanding, did have indoor plumbing, but shortly after, there is this F4 tornado that hits their hometown and really fucks up their house. So they have to leave again. And then she talks about her big sh- her big dreams. Directing. The talent shows. She said she MC'd them as well. She said I'd sing a couple songs. Have somebody sing half a song. Sing three more songs. <laughs> <laughs> that was fucking hilarious. And then she talked about her molestation. Involving Pastor Hurd. And how inside the house. She wasn't the boss. Her mother was. But outside she was. Popular. She was the boss. She ruled the neighborhood in school.
0: Yeah, she says they either loved her or they feared her pretty much.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, since the situation with Pastor hurt had happened, she pretty much didn't have a strong relationship with her mother. So, as she grows from Jennifer and junior high to high school, she kind of just goes throughout the house, just, you know, ignoring, not, well, yeah, kind of ignoring her mother. Avoids her, essentially, but she still continues to be the jennifer who wants to be a star who would love singing and talking about how she was going to be a star and how the one job she did work outside of show business she got fired for immediately because she was so focused on talking about all her dreams she burnt the fucking buns trying to toast them because <laughs> she put the well she put the press down on the same batch of buns four times
0: and i think for her it's just like needing that attention that that praise.
1: Yes, it's like yeah, it's it's definitely something deeper because the I, and I don't I'm not trying to psychoanalyze, but it's like. No, let's do it. Not really, because I'm not. Do, I do, I never do a good job. Let's Jennifer put our therapist
0: knows,
1: hats on. <laughs> Jennifer wants. To be a star and she feels like She will be a star but she Kind of doesn't and that's why she Talks about it so much because it's Like a way of showing people like If I tell enough people it has to happen It will happen Uh I feel like then uh, We go back to Rachel Jennifer's therapist Now Rachel talks to Jennifer About her childhood but specifically Her mother I mean that's what she was trying To get to her on the first session And Jennifer eventually allows them to breach that subject. It all
0: goes back to the mother.
1: It always does. That's <laughs> why the mother I, or father.
0: Your parents are the first ones to fuck you up.
1: Exactly. That's why it's mommy or daddy issues or do you have uh-huh. both? That's what everybody can no. say. <laughs>
0: you
1: got grandma issues, you got mama, and nana issues. You
0: have whoever your legal guardian issues is the one.
1: So um through therapy Jennifer does see and accept that her mom's anger that rage and stuff that she would display at Jennifer and everybody else was not her fault. But through thinking that it was her fault, she has essentially taken on that anger herself and wielding it at others. And she, meaning Jennifer, realizes that they're going through all this backlog of trauma and adolescence and stuff. She's going to have good therapy days and she's going to have bad therapy days. And sometimes when she has bad therapy days, it, it, it leads her to want to quit or call it in. But Rachel holds her accountable and makes sure that she stays in therapy and she stays engaged in her healing, which I thought was fantastic. Yeah. Now, as she's breaking through all uh, the stuff going on with her family, specifically her mother, like I said, Rachel also talks to Jennifer about the different behaviors she displays and basically, diagnoses or says that she has bipolar disorder. I thought that did you was,
0: know that before reading the book?
1: That Jennifer Lewis had bipolar disorder. Uh huh. Yes, I did not.
0: I'm not like I'm not that tuned in with her though. So
1: I had a little. There was a. I think it was when I really started to get into Blackish as well as Shangela because Jennifer Lewis and the drag queen Shangela. Have a, they live together. Yeah, they live together. They have a really close relationship. So I was down that rabbit hole. And so I did hear, a, I didn't hear a lot of this. like, But I did know about her bipolar disorder. And I knew about, you know, the sex addiction. Because she does talk about those things.
0: I think I, yeah, I think I knew sex addiction.
1: Rachel says that, you know, Jennifer has bipolar disorder. Jennifer's kind of in denial. Like, what? Mental illness, a mental illness called bipolar disorder. What you mean? And Rachel goes about describing it and those symptoms and it kind of how you feel or what you would act or what brings you anger, what brings you gratification. And even though Jennifer is like still in doubt, in the back, back of her mind, she's like, yeah, this sound like me, and she's kind of. <laughs> she ain't coming to. I don't think she came to terms with it at that time, but she is starting to kind to. She's she's seeing those things mirror her life in the coming weeks or months. She does kind of accept that diagnosis and start to change her behavior, but she doesn't start adding medication and stuff like that until years later.
0: Am I mistaken or didn't she say she saw a movie and that what made her realize she had bipolar?
1: (sighs) Like she actually said that, yeah, I do have it. What was it? Yeah, she did say she watched or saw. Is it the Robin Williams things or is that different? Because that wasn't a movie.
0: I don't remember. I just remember her saying she saw something and she's like, oh my god that's what I have like it connected with her
1: I think she said two things I can't remember the first one which I do slightly remember I I remember the Robin Williams thing because the Robin Williams thing was she was backstage Robin Williams was the guest and she saw how he was behaving backstage like a little manic and stuff and she saw herself in him uh, but she saw the, the POV of what others saw when they um, were it- around her
0: Maybe that's what I'm thinking of.
1: But there, there was something else of what you're talking about. But for the life of me, I can't remember because you're right. There was something else that she said she saw herself in. But damn, I cannot remember it. God damn it. We're going to save it for the media next week. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so um, she starts to come. A, uh, she comes to terms with it a little bit more as time goes by. Uh, this is also a little break when she does a little ode to the men in her life. She sang a little ditty, which you can't get the full scope if you don't have the audiobook. She went through all the lists of the men she had named throughout the book as well, some others. And, you know, discussed their attributes or how they came into her life or how they put it down or whatever.
0: Before you continue, the movie was Francis by Jessica Link.
1: It was! Thank you! And I was like... It's something to do with Jose specifically, okay, Jessica. <laughs> I don't know why I couldn't remember it. Thank you for remembering or for bringing that up. Yes, it Which, was. Francis. I think that's why I
0: remembered it because Jessica Lang.
1: That bitch ain't no Jessica Lange.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Okay, thank you. Now we can say that it was the she saw the movie Francis with Jessica Lang and her performance, and then uh, later she saw Robin Williams from the POV of the people who were around her, seeing what her personality was like.
0: Yes, yes, yes.
1: Thank you. That was going to be on me.
0: (laughs) It it was going to bother me, too.
1: (laughs) So after uh, Jennifer does her little ditty about the men that she's been with, we then go into Jenny is trying to heal herself from her trauma. So she decides that she wants to talk to Pastor Hurd. But she doesn't have his number. She has to call her mother. So she calls her mother. She asks for Pastor Hurt's number because she knows that her mom has it. And at first, her mother is like, she hesitates. She don't say nothing, doesn't give her the number. And Jenny pushes her by saying, you know, I want to ask him about a scripture. I think she said something like that. And her mother gives the phone number to her. Jenny, I like calling her Jenny sometimes. <laughs> uh Jenny calls up Pastor Hurd over the phone. He starts giving her praise about, we seen you this, we done seen you do this, and blah, blah, blah. And she like, I I, I ain't here to talk about that shit. Basically confronts him and expresses how she felt when he molested her and how that one event that he did has 100% threw off how she felt about men and Waged war in her mental and all this other stuff, and he had no fucking business doing all that. And how many other girls have you creeped up on and uh, messed with in the church and all this? And he apol no, before he tried to apologize, he said some bogus shit like, "I was just trying to prepare you for what you might experience in Hollywood."
0: Oh, that pissed me off. Yeah, I
1: was done. I said. This man is something fucking else. She was just a child. You know, she cusses him out some more. He eventually does say sorry. Jennifer being, you know, the person that she is, as well as how she's expressed herself in this book as she's trying to heal. She, she, she seems to forgive him or sense his remorse and she accepted it. But, you know, I'm one of those minds of certain people doing certain crimes just are never going to be forgiven in my book. Unforgivable. But that's that's not my story to, especially to judge. Especially
0: as a pastor. I know for a fact 100%. That, that sick motherfucker has done it to more girls out there.
1: Oh yeah, and especially you know silence emboldens them. So exactly. So he did this fucked up shit to Jennifer and Jennifer did tell, but nothing was done and so how many other people didn't say anything you get? It. Yeah.
0: And especially with the way her mom responded, I'm sure mm-hmm. there's other moms in that community that would have responded the same way.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's terrible.
0: There should be no leaders in organized religion. I just said it there. Just I agree
1: with that too,
0: but Let's you know, tear it everybody down.
1: wants to put somebody in charge. You got all these people who need uh-huh. a leader and, I don't know why in a church in a spiritual setting why you would need somebody to lead you to your beliefs, but maybe that's controversial. Maybe I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Who knows?
0: Now follow me.
1: You are my leader. Please <laughs> 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 stop. All right. So then we have some unfortunate news. Jennifer fa- Jennifer's father dies, and she doesn't find out in the most pleasant of ways. She's at home, and then our phone rings. And it's her mother saying, your daddy's dead. How soon can you get home? Which is tot- not only your father, but finding out anybody has died like that is completely fucked up.
0: Yeah, it, it was very crass of her mm-hmm. to do it that way.
1: And I feel like purposefully. Because, you know, whether or not that was somebody who she spent a lot of time with, that's still her father. And nobody wants to hear about anybody dying like that. Like, oh, this person just died. When are you going to be here? Uh You sound like you don't even care about my feelings. You haven't asked about it or said anything. So, yeah, very harsh and crass, like you said. And um, so Jennifer is, of course, on her way to St. Louis uh, to go to the funeral. And then when she gets there, the day of the funeral um, from her friend, Mark uh, calls and her mother uh, gets the phone call and he tells her that her best friend Quitman has died. Now, uh, Jennifer does give her mother credit for uh, holding on to the information until, I guess, after the repass of her father's funeral. But still, that news hitting her pretty hard. She smiles at first, you know, thinking of him, but she breaks down. That's one of her best friends. And the last time she saw him, you know, she saw him in the, the hospital bed. He was sick and thin. You know, the nurses and doctors still being ignorant of AIDS. Told her, you know, don't touch him. Don't be around him. Well, of course, Jennifer touches him. She ain't listening to nobody. And it's her best friend. Uh-huh. But he, he mentioned the fact that she was the first person to touch him without gloves in two years. And she's just remembering that visit and remembering all the other times she had with her friend, you know, coming up with the music, making the arrangements, traveling the world, talking about the men, talking about what they wanted to do. And she's just, she's fucked up. now she's still in therapy she's still with Rachel and she's been with her for a couple of years advising her to not you know confront the issues that are going on with you and your family by writing letters you don't have to mail them but you need an outlet of writing exactly how you feel about these people and then you can burn them and all that so Jennifer does take on that offer she writes uh, letters to all her family members Uh, it takes her a couple months Cause she kept putting it off but she does eventually write the 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 letter that she wants to send to her mother and she reads it out and it is harsh uh i feel like she probably didn't even say everything she said in it but uh, it is harsh it details you know how she treated uh the family specifically jennifer how she made her feel small you know how she acted like she didn't care how she was very careless with her and didn't really show love and um Supported the abuse that she received from other people around her, how her anger and abuse influenced her decisions when she got older with men and affected her career with, you know, doing that self-sabotage, making sure uh, she's not happy. And so she's not happy and thriving in her success. She knows her mom's not going to be happy. So she does it as like a a fuck you to her because she's resentful. And um, she's undecided at first, but she does eventually send the letter and basically sends the same copy to her her uh, other family members. You know, so nobody's in the dark about what she did. She was kind of nervous about it because she said that you know nobody talks about your mom. Ma- uh, you nobody wants you talking about their mama. Uh-huh. <laughs> but,
0: uh huh.
1: But she says she had a little backlash from a couple of siblings, but for the most part, everybody was glad that she spoke her piece so therefore they could eventually speak their piece as well and it was outside for all of them to deal with and make better and healthier decisions as a family and so
0: that's such a hard thing to do though
1: oh it's to write down all the things that you don't like or have hurt you that somebody has done oh 100 percent
0: especially to a parent. Like she oh. says that in there, how she couldn't do it as a phone call because she would revert back to that little kid who's scared of her mom. Mm-hmm. So she, it has to be through a letter and just to call her out and then know that there's going to be some backlash from siblings. Cause you are not to talk about my mom like that, even though she's yeah. your mom too.
1: Mm-hmm. And she talked about how other people felt differently. Uh, mother mom had it hard stuff like that. But you know, Jennifer maintained the fact that she still had to write how she felt and about her experience. And it did end up helping the family as a whole. She says like it helped the family dynamics going forward with them calling each other, you know, having a, basically a powwow when stuff wasn't agreed upon or people didn't like certain things or other people were feuding. And so a lot of turmoil, but it lended itself to a great result.
0: Yeah. Which you have to do If you're listening to this and you have a letter to write, go write it. Write that bitch.
1: Now then we step into more current times where 1993, she's describing some of the projects she did and how it was such a big year for her. That's when she did what's, that's around the time she did What's Love Got to Do With It, Poetic Justice.
0: Something Uh, about What's Love Got to Do With It that I love that she said, because she was insulted about the mom, playing the mom. Oh, yeah. hurt the money like how much is being paid she's like how am i'll pay, play the daddy
1: <laughs> you're paying me like that i'll play the daddy too <laughs> <laughs> which i'm like girl how much they pay you girl what do you do? <laughs> but yeah so yeah she played what's love got to do with it uh poetic justice in love in she was in in a living color she also did a guest spot in a different world she reprised her role as uh, Whoopi's backup singer and Sister Act 2. So like she said, it was a big hit. She was in some, she was in some shit. Uh, she got her industry friend. She has a circle. She's in therapy. She's doing great.
0: Whoopi popping up was another cameo I loved in this book.
1: Oh yeah, can uh, Whoopi was she 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 had her spots in here.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Not a bet spot, but a little one.
0: Well, she still said, like, later that she felt like Whoopi was a mentor, and she would always tell Bet that Whoopi was her mentor, and she'd tell Whoopi that Bet was her mentor.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I love it. You got to play the legends against each other. Never know. Never let them know who you love (laughs) the most. So um, Jennifer's making money, and then she therefore wants to buy herself uh, a place. As she gets this little, I think, apartment, she said, in Studio City. But that doesn't last too long because there's this huge-ass earthquake. She had earthquakes regularly, of course, in California. But this one was something fucking serious. That shit, I I forgot what she said off the Richter scale, six-something. And uh, basically tore their fucking building down, made it unlivable. Uh, she ends up like saving herself and rescuing others with help, of course. I thought it was crazy how she found one of her neighbors pinned under cabinets, and she she had a glass she had a, a glass shard pointed right at her neck. Ugh. Like, whoo, jeez! And, and I love the the chapter is called "Kicking Down Doors" because she was kicking down doors to save these motherfuckers. That Jennifer Lewis does. So yeah, Um, and then she goes into uh, the chapter, Jackie's Back. I'm not gonna talk about, I'm not really gonna talk about any of these last chapters because first of all, Jackie's Back is a fantastic movie. It was supposed to be my media a year ago.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: But I, I forgot it, but it's still such a great movie. And, like she talks about, it has so many cameos. It's so funny. At first, I did not know what to make. Like the first 10 or 15 minutes, I I don't know if I was going to stay in it or not. But I ended up loving that entire movie. I've rewatched it at least one other time. I need to rewatch it again. It's funny, it's hilarious. So, you should, out of any and all Jennifer Lewis's projects, if you want to laugh, you should watch uh, Jackie's Back hilarious jennifer played a lot of mom roles but she as we know did not have any children she kind of felt that she was gonna maybe have one with thomas at one point and get married but it just didn't happen so it just never was in the cards for her but she is told that she should put some of that love and affection and attention that she has towards something important and so jennifer decides to be a big sister which yeah. I didn't know anything about, and I thought was fantastic.
0: She's listed as having one kid. Is that who we they list if, as her kid? If it's
1: Charmaine, then yes.
0: Yeah, that's, they don't. That's,
1: that's the one she didn't have, but she kind of adopted, if you want to say.
0: Yeah, she becomes a legal guardian.
1: Yeah, but yeah, big sister. Uh, I thought it was great because I also am uh, somebody who had uh, the pleasure of being in the Big Brother Big Sister program. uh really? for a couple years. Yeah i will say i really loved it the first year because i didn't have any expectations and i got were you the up- child yes okay i i didn't know if you like did this at, later in life no i'm too broke and too depressed to offer a child <laughs> anything how right about the scar no child i'm your big sister you stay in the car i'm gonna go get this right now <laughs> <In> this <house. laughs> Or you stay in here, they can't let kids in the liquor store. <laughs> I probably wouldn't do that, but I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I what, what was the grade? I can't remember my age, but I was in eighth. No, I was in sixth and seventh grade. The two years I was in the big brother, big sister program. And the first year I didn't have a lot of expectations, but I had a really good big sister who was really sweet and very consistent. Like, to this day, I I don't understand why. I mean, I don't know. She was she was cool. I kind of wonder what she is now. Like, is she Republican? <laughs> is she racist? Because <laughs> when I tell you, she was one of the whitest people ever, but she was very sweet. And I still, t- I actually still have a picture of her and her family.
0: We gotta find her.
1: I know. I remember her name first. and last Oh my
0: goodness, we gotta find her. <laughs> we find her after this episode. <laughs>
1: oh, maybe. And then the second year, I had an okay big sister. She tried her best, but she wasn't that consistent, number one. And number two, I didn't know how to take her, so I didn't know how to, like, utilize her. Like, she she gave me a car. She said I could call her or we could hang out any time, but she didn't really come around much, so I kind of just didn't do anything. But she could have been a better big sister to somebody but I, I, the program as a whole is still great because you get to see these different people from walks of life and they provide an experience to you and end up you end up bonding with those people. At least I did with my first one.
0: Do you as, remember how you got into it as a child? Just out of so, curiosity? Um,
1: most of the, what, From my understanding is that uh, you do the big brother, big sister thing outside of school, but my school specifically had a big brother, big sister program where they would show up for you during lunch once a week. So mm. that's how I got into it. Was that my school grabbed all the poor kids and said, "You qualify for this program, and if your if your parents want you to be a part of it, fill it out." And so me and the other kids all randomly got paired with Bigs and. We did it for, like, a semester. So it was every week for a semester, and then next year they did it again. So that's how it happened with mine.
0: From the other end, my cousin tried to be a big brother.
1: Oh, what happened?
0: He didn't have papers.
1: Damn. And they
0: do; they have to, like, do a background check and run your social and everything.
1: Ain't that something? You still trying to be a good person and still come <laughs> back to, are you a part of this shitty-ass country? <laughs>
0: i don't i don't know if like there was a way around that but as soon as he saw that like you knew he was like nope i'm not doing that
1: oh hell no ain't no way around it the big brother big sister the name's in it big brother it's a part of the government don't get too
0: involved <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway sorry back to jennifer sorry for the tangent uh so she becomes a big sister and she ends up getting paired with this little seven-year-old at the time named charmaine and so her and charmaine uh, become very close at first. Jennifer doesn't know what the hell to do with her. She's seven years old. She doesn't, hey, I mean, she knew she had the energy and guidance to give to a child, but she wasn't around them all the time. So she has some help from friends, specifically, I think one friend named Ronnie.
0: Yeah, Ronnie. And
1: yeah, Ronnie. And so um, time goes on, her and Charmaine get closer, but Charmaine also has other siblings, and her mother uh, ends up getting sick. And even though Jennifer would do her best to, you know, give experience to all the siblings, Charmaine was her little sister and is is the primary one that she did all the care for. So sometimes she would end up being looked down upon at her other sisters or brother Charmaine for having this like well-off big sister while they kind of didn't have the same. And then eventually, as Charmaine's mother gets worse, you know, Jennifer Lewis becomes her legal guardian and takes care of a lot of the stuff day to day that her mother would. So she ends up enrolling her in a private school, ends up, you know, enrolling her into camp and stuff like making sure she has great experiences, making sure she's well-rounded and she's really highly educated because she wanted the best for Charmaine. Not only because, you know, she made this promise to her mother to take care of her and be her legal guardian. But this is a child that she's started to grow up with slash raise slash learn to love. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, uh, I think Ronnie does pass. And that is sad because Jennifer remembers the time where ronnie was there to help her help her out with charmaine and all the stuff that she did and then charmaine grows up they end up butting heads as she gets older she said she threw a party a pool party when she left one time i said damn (laughs) had it like that though hey yeah Uh,
0: and jennifer says she doesn't want to be so strict like her mom was
1: yeah but she she's hyper aware of all the things a child can do and she's hyper aware of all the stuff that Herself had done as uh-huh. she grew up, so she's trying to be there, but she's not trying to smother her. Where I'm going to wrap it up at Jennifer, then you know, starts to go into more stuff about her career and kind of being where she wants to at the life at, at as she's lived the life that she has. When she got blackish, she's been in the business for 40 plus years. She's finally on a primetime sitcom. She's been there for a couple of years. She's established. She's the mother of Black Hollywood. And, sh- and she's happy with all that she's done, even though she realizes that, you know, she doesn't have those big awards that she did boast about wanting one day, you know, the Oscar, the Grammys, the Tonys. And she thought about what would, what would have she had to do to change to get those awards? Yeah. And she's like, Anything she would have had to change wasn't worth it to, to get to where she was.
0: That's kind of why I think she name drops so much and like talks about everybody that's around her that's famous is because she was doing the same things they were doing and she's trying to, I guess, like tell the reader, show the reader that, hey, I, I'm just like them. I'm, if not better, because I'm having these same roles, doing these same things, I'm just being shot down for some s- weird reason
1: yeah the name drops that she does you can kind of compare to where she is in her career were these people who she ended up passing who ended up passing her who are in totally different lanes than she is like like I said she was in theater and she did some movies now she's in TV some of these people are still in theater some of these people are superstars some of these people are mainly TV stars you know you can kind of compare her careers with these other ones who are her peers, essentially.
0: I do have two short stories that you did not talk about that I would want to bring up real fast.
1: Oh, go ahead. I, I, I will say this before you start. I did uh, not put so much of what I wanted to in here because I tend to overthink, as well as, like we had mentioned, I think it's some things you have to kind of read the book for yourself yeah but i do i am interested in what drew your your interest so what what stories
0: okay well one's not a story it's just a funny little thing when i think brandy's only mentioned once in this book
1: oh yeah towards the end
0: yeah but she refers to her as my brandy and i thought that was so adorable
1: yeah, um, there's another Brandy and Monica war shaping up. <laughs> Don't let anybody else Jennifer play Jennifer Lewis me. is
0: mine. <laughs> in
1: fact, <laughs> I was going to say, what if Whitney was still alive? Hmm. Ugh. Is she saying my Brandy?
0: Hmm. <clears throat> and then the other story that I did like in there, of course, that's Stewart Whoopi Goldberg. Was oh. on the set of Corina, Corina. Uh, <sighs> Jennifer Lewis says she comes in and she had a guy sitting at her house that she was trying to get rid of trying to get him out of there and every day she would come in for filming there would be per diem for food and stuff mm-hmm. money and she walks in one day and Whoopi goberg's there and there's two thousand dollars sitting on the table and she's like oh what's that you better put it away before i steal it mm-hmm. and Whoopi just tells her you don't have to steal it it's yours go take that money and go get that guy out of your house before it becomes a $2 million problem. And I just thought that was so cool.
1: Yeah, she also mentioned like some man cost her 2000000 million. I'm trying to look up. Who the <laughs> hell cost you $2 million, Whoopi? I just finished
0: a book today and I was like, I need to look that up.
1: Who the hell cost Whoopi $2 million? Because she's shown up said that too. Uh-huh. I like, yeah. Oh, one, one story I forgot to mention was... The Whitney Houston stories. I felt it's so crazy hearing other people talk about their Whitney Houston stories because with her, it's like you had this good experience. You know, they had the little riff with her calling in or whatever. But uh-huh. you, you have these stories of Whitney and what we all speculate was going on with her uh, during these times. And then you have somebody like Jennifer Lewis who kind of is seeing it. Like that whole, um, she she was doing Meet the Browns, which I can I can firmly remember what Jennifer Lewis era that was. The Tyler <laughs> Perry movie. And uh, Whitney Houston invited her to dinner. But when she gets there, she's indisposed. So she only ends up having dinner with Pat and Sissy. Oh, I was yeah. like, damn, that just kind of tells you, like her headspace. And then she gets the call from her uh, saying, you know, uh, I'm about to go to rehab. We're, we're going to do "Waiting to Exhale" too, which oh, that would have been that would have been great. Some sequels, you say, they don't need to be done. You know, leave it alone. But I would have loved to see a "Waiting to Exhale" too.
0: Mm-hmm. And she
1: she tells Jennifer she's going to really do it this time. That's you know this is it. And she she says she never heard Whitney's voice again. And that got, that was another one that gave me goosebumps, and I was just like, very Damn, sad, so sad. So yeah, there's a lot of stories in here we didn't even touch. A lot of stories where Jennifer's in the fucking wrong for real, like the slapping story. But we're not gonna get into it. I do
0: love that she calls herself out, though.
1: Yes, she says I'm wrong. Uh-huh. she's she's she'll admit that she was ignorant about a subject or ignorant about a word and that she was wrong but mm-hmm. how she felt in that moment i do like that yes but yeah i definitely this is uh, i this is a solid read to me um it does get a little uh it drags on a little bit in some parts with her over explanations with other people who are not central to the story but besides that i really did love this book and yeah, i, I so like to learn about jennifer lewis more
0: should we do the rating yes okay
1: <laughs> i don't know why i hesitated like this i was is, nervous I, I didn't know if
0: you had something else said like is this my one <laughs> do
1: okay. i gotta go first
0: i can do my rating because i know what it is
1: okay i'm gonna let you influence me
0: if it was strictly book it's a two a two star
1: Woo.
0: The audio definitely brings it up two or three.
1: Really? So okay. Two stars though I, without the audio?
0: I Nine, just think, like
1: two and a half.
0: I just think a huge part of these books can be chopped off. Like, let's get rid of this story, let's get rid of this, let's get rid of that, let's get rid of this. Let's You're dive a no filler type this. of
1: type of gal.
0: I just I think she had an amazing life. I think she's lived it. I would have loved a few last names, uh, though, when it, sometimes when she's saying up the story and it's going, it's like, come on, what are you talking about? Like what what's about to happen? Like what's, and it's like the name she's listing has nothing to do with her story. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't.
1: Hmm, okay, okay, I feel you then, I get you, okay.
0: What's your rating?
1: So, uh, similar to yours, at least one of yours, uh, I was gonna give this a solid three. The only reason I did not rate it higher is because of what you said. Is that there? I feel like all books have filler, which is needed. You can't just be keep going from hard hitting, tear jerker, attention getting. You can't keep going leaps and leaps and leaps. But I do think she had a little bit more filler than necessary, as well as those those pr- those more present stories in the beginning of chapters would throw me off as far as trying to picture things chronologically
0: yeah i hated the timeline of the book it just yeah i never really knew what age she was i just kind of like around the area but i wish it was more it doesn't have to be like childhood to now but just somewhat more linear
1: Hmm. I, yeah, or or I feel like I would have given a four or five Or maybe like enjoyed it better If this was like one of those memoirs Where it's just a book of stories
0: Oh, yeah I feel like that would have been better Like short essays
1: Yes She if does it was have just another like,
0: book out now She does? Yeah, I think What was it called? I feel like it just came out
1: The schmolly mud.
0: No <laughs> Now she's the father.
1: Hold oh, on. damn, that would have been the better joke.
0: Jennifer Lewis book.
1: <laughs> oh, I thought that was the name.
0: No. Um, <laughs> so walking in my joy in these streets.
1: And what is it? What is the description?
0: Um, let's see. A self-described traveling fool and nature freak. Jennifer takes readers with her all over the world.
1: Okay, maybe this is more current stories as well as some other. There's ones. another one. Put it. There's oh, three. No that's,
0: no, that's that's the mother of Black Hollywood. It was just a different cover. <laughs> that was all, I was like, okay, Jennifer. Uh, too, many like, many know, down. <laughs> too many memes. Too many memes. I just feel like she has so much that maybe if this was like young age to, I don't know, the 90s, it would have been a different book.
1: Hmm. <sighs> yeah i agree i agree i mean I, th- I think we can always put in uh different suggestions that we felt could have been made to make it better mm-hmm. but overall, and we know
0: until they listen
1: <laughs> <laughs> i like that i like that
0: when they uh, keep suggesting it <laughs>
1: it's like shawshank i'ma send two letters a- a instead of one now <laughs> but um, I think it would have been a slightly more enjoyable read if it was a book of essays, book of stories, but uh, I still enjoyed it. I And I think that also has to do with me liking and loving Jennifer Lewis. Like some of the things she named off of, I mean, I've known her since then. Like, um, What's love got to do with it? But I didn't know Jennifer Lewis at first. Girlfriends, but I didn't know that was Jennifer Lewis.
0: It was nice seeing her bring up all those roles just because I kind of forgot it was her.
1: Yeah. Sometimes you forget what made you fall in love with that person or uh-huh. the casual thing that you saw him in that you were like, hey, you like that Leo meme. Yeah. <laughs> <Hey.
0: laughs> it's like, damn, she really isn't everything.
1: Yeah. So I, I just appreciate you learning more about her history. But there are a few suggestions. Still a good read. Oh, well, no. Let's get into the last part.
0: Would you reread it?
1: Oh, that's not the one I was going to say. I thought it was the recommendation. I and mean, would you read it?
0: It doesn't really matter. Do you want to do a recommendation first?
1: Yes. Let okay. me do it the way I want to. It's my episode. Would you <laughs> Would you recommend this book? And then would you reread it?
0: Huh, very good question. Thank you. Would I recommend this book? If it was someone who I know, like, really loves celebrities and can listen to that. But if you just want a story, I think listening to her talk about the theater and... Especially the theater. That was, like, the hardest parts for me to get through. (laughs) I think you're going it's going to be a tough recommend to give to people. If they're not Jennifer Lewis fan, of course. I agree. Um, Also, earlier in the book, like when it first starts, she was talking about doing like a bad performance, like one of the only bad performances in her career. And she says, a mother looks at her 10 year old son who was definitely gay? Is that Jennifer? Oh how do you know that?
1: That's the same thing. I, said, I said, okay, we're gonna skip over that, Jennifer, but I get what you mean. I get you. You've been around a lot of gay boys, so you feel like you can identify.
0: Like, I just want to know how he was sitting there listening to this play.
1: She said, this 10 year old who is definitely a gay ass motherfucker.
0: But if I do recommend it, I would say just at the audiobook. Yeah. I would never recommend the physical copy, but audio, but yeah.
1: I would recommend both. Um, but like you said before, I would only recommend this to somebody who liked Jennifer Lewis or really liked entertainers.
0: Would I reread it? I think it's a good one and done. I might revisit a section maybe mm-hmm. for a laugh or two, maybe like the lighter chapters. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I, I don't think I would reread it. I don't I got all I needed to know from that.
1: Yeah. I am about the same. I don't think I would even revisit. The only part I would re-listen to is of course the Barack Obama story, because that was hilarious. But um yeah, I, I think I got everything I needed to. I would probably more sooner read her other book before I would reread this. Oh yeah,
0: definitely. Definitely. So
1: yeah. That's how I feel about that one.
0: But yeah, I think that's it. That's it, right? I just got to do my my book for next month.
1: Yes. Yeah, so for the pick. month of March, it is Jose's pick again. So what have you decided that we should read?
0: We are going with Leah Remini's Troublemaker.
1: I'm not mad at it.
0: <laughs> I okay. So I had to. We went from Viola to. Jennifer Lewis, and I'm like,
1: no more black people with struggles. <laughs> <laughs> no more black, voter in black people.
0: <laughs> so I was thinking it has to be someone who I know is going to give a good audio narration of their book. And I've already listened to Leia, so I'm confident this is not to let us down.
1: Oh, so is this one you're revisiting and I'm re I'm reading for the first time? Yeah,
0: I'm revisiting. So far, what I remember, it has been the best celebrity memoir that I have read. So I'm kind of seeing how a revisitation's gonna be, plus seeing how you're gonna like it.
1: I kinda can't wait. Like I'm one of those people who despite not liking the main thing that she was on, I really do still love Leah Remy. <laughs> I didn't she- I did not like King of Queens, but I literally love anything else she was in.
0: She's also one of those people who just, one of the celebrities, have a strong personality that you can like them for their personality.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And so I'm excited to read it. It's about her leaving the Church of Scientology. It's, oh, Jesus. sorry. Repeat that That's, part of it. Scientologists coming for us. <laughs> they heard you, bro. Uh huh. It's about her leaving the Church of Scientology, her growing up, and like, you know, she was pretty much in it her whole life. Mm hmm. And where I can can remember giving away too much is that she's definitely a person on every story that says, you know, I fucked up. This is what I did wrong. And I I love when people can call themselves out about that.
1: Well, I kind of can't wait to to read or listen to the fuck-ups then.
0: Yeah, I definitely recommend you have to listen to it.
1: Well, you know me. I'm on a roll now. (laughs) I can't do anything but listen to these people talk. So I'm ready for it. I was going to do, uh, that's
0: what I was afraid of. There's a book out there, (laughs) which I don't know if I'm ever going to bring it up, but it's supposedly written by Kylie and Kendall Jenner. We have so much
1: to talk about on Friday.
0: It wasn't on Audible, so I'm like, oh, I can't.
1: (laughs) You (laughs) know them girls can't read. I'm like,
0: (laughs) Katrina's not going to read it.
1: (laughs) You know them girls can't read. They didn't even write that.
0: (sighs) But thank you guys so much for listening. to us if you liked Mother of Black Hollywood.
1: hmm
0: Have you read it? Are you going to read it?
1: Did you just listen to us? And what did you think about that?
0: Yeah. Suggest us a book. Give us a book recommendation. Because every time I look up celebrity memoirs, the same 10 always pop up.
1: Same. And I'm not reading Prince Harry's book.
0: Or Will Smith. I'm sorry. It's just not right now.
1: Yeah. Same. Same.
0: But, Yeah. Maybe next one should be a man. It's been mostly women, but we'll get there one day. One day. Okay, thank you guys for listening. It's been wonderful. Ta-ta.
1: See ya.